What kind of software is functional programming not suited for? We will go over this question and explore it in some depth by the end of the episode. Hi, my name is Eric Normand, and I help people thrive with functional programming. This is an important question because if we are being honest with ourselves, we're going to find places where uh, something isn't a good fit. If it's a good fit for one thing, there's going to be a bad fit somewhere else. And to say that a, uh, a thing is good at everything is probably to delude yourself. And I want, I, I want you, my, my uh, listener, to have a more balanced view of what's going on. So we're going to explore this question and I'm going to make reference to other paradigms, uh, object oriented paradigm and, um, imperative paradigm. And we will, we'll see, we'll see how, how they all do as paradigms. Okay. So the, the question is what kind of software, what applications, what domains, what kind of contexts is functional programming not suited for? My first impression is this is kind of like asking what object oriented programming is not suited for or what imperative programming is not suited for. And even though I don't, you know, generally endorse imperative programming, like in the same way I endorse functional programming, um, it's really hard for me to think of a domain where imperative programming is really not great. Um, so I don't feel like I'm being biased by saying that, uh, I, I think that the, the there's something uh, kind of wrong with the question. So I want to go into, um, why that might be. So the thing is, these are general approaches. These paradigms are general purpose approaches to software. They are more like a worldview where, from which to begin your exploration of a problem domain and how you might solve it. And so it's not like they're mutually exclusive. Their ideas certainly aren't mutually exclusive. They just kind of set a groundwork, a framework in which you're going to continue exploring. Uh, they're a whole system of thinking. And so it's hard to say that some kind of application wouldn't do well in imperative programming. It's a system of thinking. It's a place to start. Likewise with object-oriented programming. It's a place to start. Uh, just to just to be um, super clear, um, when I'm talking about the three, three major paradigms, object-oriented, imperative, and functional, I'll just quickly give like kind of nutshell uh, descriptions of these as paradigms. Uh, imperative programming uh, turns everything into 
uh, sequence of steps. Okay, so uh, that is your main programming unit is like a routine or a subroutine. You can break up a, a sequence of steps into further steps and call those and name them and and uh, refer to them that way. Uh, and so you could see that uh, this is a generally applicable uh, paradigm. Um, you, there are many, you know, a lot of people say, well, functional is really good with math. Well, a lot of high performance math uh, routines software is written in an imperative style. It's written in Fortran. And so it's really hard to, to make that argument that functional programming is better at math than Fortran. Uh, Object-oriented programming is, uh, there's basically three main concepts. There are objects which hold state and accept messages. There are the messages that are sent between objects. Um, and there are the methods which are the code that runs when the uh, when the message is received and in this way you create like this network of objects that communicate with each other and the computation happens through the dispatch of different messages and what each object does with the messages it receives um, likewise this is this is something you know you can't you, you look at software written today a lot of it is written in object-oriented programming uh, in an object-oriented style and it spans all sorts of domains all over the spectrum so it's really hard to say that's not suitable for this stuff people have built systems to um, do like aircraft engineering to embedded systems to what you know simple web applications like everything is is built in this uh OO framework uh and so i'm gonna say the same for fp that there's really nothing that fp uh isn't suited for um real quick functional programming um, as a paradigm begins with three things um the three three main concepts actions calculations and data so these are mutually exclusive uh, categories that everything falls into so when I read answers on the on the internet one thing that I see come up a lot as a, as a good answer um, is or as a common answer and people like this answer uh, you know they upvoted and stuff um, is that anything that has that main purpose or the main function of the software is to keep track of and change state. So they give the examples of stuff like uh, a game engine where like characters and other items are like constantly changing, they're moving, uh, their health points are changing. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of state and it doesn't make sense to do this in functional programming because uh, it's it's much easier to just like set mutable fields on objects. Um, 
what I want to I want to address this because it is a very common uh, a common answer. Functional programmers do use state. Let me let me just put it bluntly. We do. Uh, there is a particular definition of functional programming that I don't agree with uh, that says that functional programming is exclusively programming with pure functions. That means no state, no side effects, nothing, just pure functions. And if that is the case, if it is programmed with pure functions, then the these answers are, are right. Okay. The trouble is that that is not what most functional programmers do in their day job. Okay, when they're actually building a real system, um, they are making practical compromises. They are not sticking to this uh, very rigid, reductionist definition of functional programming. That would be like saying in, um, in Java, you could only do stuff with message passing, meaning no if statements, no for loops, no uh you know primitives everything has to be an object okay nobody does that right it's it's just not it's just not the way it's done now there are some languages that make it easier to do that like i believe in small talk everything really was even if statements were done with messages um but uh they, that was a choice they made, just like Haskell makes a choice to be a very pure language, although it does have I.O., don't forget about that. Okay, so uh, I don't agree with that definition. Um, functional programmers do use state. They do use side effects, okay? They just have a tidy place to put them, and they put them in the actions category, okay? So all that is to say that Functional programming is is big. You know, there's a lot of room in this umbrella of functional programming to solve any problem you might have. Okay, so that's why it's not really possible to say, well, it's not good at this because it's a big umbrella. That thing fits under there, and someone may have found a way to do it. Um, there's lots of languages. Uh, so I'm going to name two domains that I think are maybe uh, maybe I would feel like oh maybe just intuitively oh these things um, these domains no they're not good for functional programming but then I researched them and it turns out that there are functional programming solutions in there uh, so the first one is embedded systems. So I looked in, into this because I figured like, well, embedded systems are super constrained in terms of memory. You're not going to be able to, and, and CPU processing, right? You're not going to be able to like fit a garbage collector and a, and the kind of runtime that we're used to, uh, when we're dealing with, uh, nice functional languages. Um, but I was wrong. Uh, there are several versions of Scheme. 
uh, or other Lisps that are made to run in an embedded environment. Now they're pared down. They're not the scheme you would run on your desktop or on a server. Uh, they're very small and they encourage a lot of functional programming practices and they they discourage others okay so there's going to be um, mutable data right like the cons cells the things you make linked lists out of they're mutable but it encourages recursion right it, it has first-class functions and so you make a trade-off there for space right all right now th there's other languages too I'm just picking on scheme um, there's other functional languages but then you get to something like Rust. Rust is a very functional language. A lot of it falls under the functional umbrella. Okay. And it has a really nice type system that can optimize away a lot of stuff that we've relied on runtimes for in the past. So memory safety, um, being able to efficiently store and deal with mutable state in a safe way. That, I mean, Rust is a perfect example of functional programming for embedded systems. It's just, it's just, uh, it's a, it, it, it's like the, it proves that uh, it, it is suitable for everything. Now, there might not be a language for that particular problem yet, but it doesn't mean that FP isn't uh, good for it. Uh, and it doesn't mean that all languages, are, I mean, I would never use closure in an embedded system. It's too big. It's, I mean, everyone knows that. Okay. Uh, no one's going to dispute that. Okay. Uh, the other one is the GPU. Um, there are many systems for uh writing the the language that gpus speak which is um open cl something like that oh i forgot the name let me look it up real quick yeah there's cuda and open cl and um these are c-like languages they're imperative and like in closure there's there's ways of writing what looks like closure that gets compiled into OpenCL and then sent to the GPU. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a functional paradigm approach to programming the GPU. And I didn't know that this existed, but it does. Uh, I would have said no, like you just want you just want like imperative. Just give me the raw code and let me let me do it by hand but no uh there's a thing called futhark f-u-t-h-a-r-k that is a functional language that operates on like arrays and has map filter reduce and it happens all in parallel on the gpus it compiles to OpenCL or cuda and it is a completely pure type safe functional language that is competitive with hand optimized code. 
but it's you know high level in the way that an imperative language wouldn't be this i mean to me this is like this is it it's saying like yeah sure maybe closure or haskell itself won't compile right to the gpu but here is a small functional language that will compile nicely to the gpu and that's what it's made for it's made for interop with like a, a regular language like you know a cpu bound language i mean like you're running it in python and then you need to call out to something fast on the gpu you could write it in this nice functional language in a functional style okay so um i'm gonna conclude uh, i think that fp is generally applicable because it really is just a um a general approach to software uh, in the same way that object-oriented programming is probably okay. I don't know if OOP would be good on the GPU, just saying, just because the message passing um, might, I don't know. I, I'm not a, I'm not a, like a GPU person, but it just seems like the, the message passing would be not a good fit for the architecture of the GPU. Um that's that's not to say that it's not possible i don't know um the thing is when we talk about whether it's it's a good fit for a certain uh, environment or or application domain we're usually thinking about a particular language that we you know are are thinking about right so we're like we're picking on we're saying oh is haskell good for this like okay haskell is not good for everything Closure is not good for everything. Uh, there are particular domains where it is a good fit and not. But FP is encompasses all of them, and so it can. It's as a as a framework, as a paradigm, it is flexible. It can do it all, and I think that's the that's the case with imperative and with object oriented. Um, well, yep, that's all I have to say. Um, I I I hope I've brought some clarity to this um, a, a lot of the the fine points are on whether on, are on the definition of FP as a paradigm um, I think that state and side effects are part of FP uh, just the fact that we have names for them in a way that uh, other paradigms don't um, so I, I'm that's it. I'm done. So uh, if you like this episode, you can find all the past episodes at lispcast.com slash podcast. There you can find audio, video, and text of all of the past episodes. You'll also find links to subscribe to the podcast and to find me on social media, be it email, uh, Twitter, or LinkedIn. And I really think the social part of social media is the is the main thing it's not a broadcast medium it's a way of getting in touch with more people keeping in touch with people engaging with them really forming relationships friendships nice deep discussions so please find me uh, and uh, send me a message and uh, that's it thanks for listening and rock on